This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. That is the holy grail of weight loss. I would say it's less about losing. It's keeping it off, maintaining it, having a lifestyle you can enjoy. We cannot live in deprivation forever. So that is, it's how you go about it. can set yourself up to keep it off or you're going to be on the yo-yo ride. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn about the health benefits of glucosamine. We'll discuss the three common obstacles to weight loss over 40. We'll find out why it's so important to refinance your mortgage before retirement. And lastly, we'll explore how to find yourself. But first, a little bit of business. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Omega Alpha's products are created by their scientific team headed by their owner, operator, and CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Dr. Chang holds a PhD in physiology and biomedical engineering from the University of Toronto. He also has two years postdoctoral experience in clinical biochemistry looking at free radicals and antioxidants. He's published over 20 peer-reviewed articles and conference proceedings, and he's a regular on the show. Welcome back, Gordon. How are you? Very good, Jamie. Thanks for having me on again. So this time of year, a lot of people complain about joint stiffness and, and joint pain. Why is that? Well, a lot of people at this point of year, because you have tomatoes coming out, tomatoes are part of the nightshade family. And one of the things about eating nightshades is that there's more inflammation. And anytime there's more inflammation, if you're prone to arthritis, your joints will ache a little bit more. Hence, this is probably one of the major reasons. So you're here to talk about natural ingredients. Which are the ones most commonly used to help with joint pain, cartilage, mobility issues? Well, traditionally, when anytime people think about joint pain, the first thing that pops into their mind is glucosamine and chondroitin. But really, if you think about glucosamine and chondroitin, what they are, they're building blocks. They are used in the repair mechanism to rebuild things like cartilage, right, uh, synovial fluid, and so on. But the thing that causes the pain is really the inflammation. And to control the inflammation, your best thing to do is to really take some anti-inflammatory herbs. There are many different anti-inflammatory herbs. There's things like boswellia. Mm -hmm. There's things like turmeric. So just to name a couple, there's a whole bunch of them around. The anti-inflammatory herbs are really the thing that help control the inflammation. They're not like your non-steroidal anti-inflammatories in the sense that the herbal components don't seem to cause the same problems that non-steroidal anti-inflammatories do, meaning stomach upsets, etc., Mm-hmm. Okay. They have other beneficial uses too. So if you combine that with a lot of different antioxidants, right, that also is beneficial for anti-inflammatory effects because every single antioxidant is an anti-inflammatory, but not every single anti-inflammatory is an antioxidant. So you mentioned a moment ago that people sometimes supplement with glucosamine. What does it do? Well, 
glucosamine is one of the building blocks that is actually used in rebuilding of things like cartilage. So in the repair mechanisms of cartilage, etc., use glucosamine. Right? It's, the body will take that and use that as a structural component to rebuild. Okay? Normally, the body can make its own glucosamine. Right? It's not necessarily found in food sources, glucosamine, but what happens is what the body will do, it will take certain components and then convert it into glucosamine, which is then incorporated into the tissue, right? So building of cartilage, etc. Okay, synovial fluid, again, uses glucosamine. Now, one of the major sources of some of these components is chondroitin. Now, the downside to chondroitin for people is that our ability to digest and break down chondroitin is not great. It's not zero, but it's not great, right? And chondroitin, when it's broken down, the body is broken down into something called galactosamine and, and another component called glucuronic acid. Galactosamine is what we call an analog to glucosamine. It's similar to glucosamine, so the body absorbs the galactosamine and converts it to glucosamine. I, I don't want to dwell too much on this part of it. But then what happens then is the, the glucosamine then gets incorporated as the building blocks into synovial fluid, which is the stuff that lubricates your joints. Right? The galactosamine itself is also incorporated into the cartilage to help rebuild the cartilage. And the body converts galactosamine to glucosamine and vice versa, glucosamine to galactosamine. Right? Now, glucosamine that we normally find in supplements, they usually come from shrimp shells, crab shells, etc. because the major component of all these shells is something called chitin. And chitin then is chemically broken down or enzymatically broken down into glucosamine. Okay, so the conversion, if it's enzymatic, you get something primarily called D-glucosamine. And if it's an acid breakdown, you get a 50-50 mix of D-glucosamine and something called L-glucosamine. But the body only absorbs the D-glucosamine. So if if you think about it, if you have 100 grams of chemically broken down chitin, right, or shrimp shells, you get 50%, so you get 500 milligrams of D, 500 milligrams of L, mm. right? The body will absorb both, but it only takes the D form and then incorporates the D form. Whereas if it's enzymatically broken down, you get roughly about 80 to 90% D and 10% L. So you get much more bang for the buck if you use an enzymatically broken down glucosamine product. Okay, so most of the time when you think about sort of joint pain, you think of it as something that happens as we age. Is it because our ability to absorb glucosamine reduces as we get older? Is there something that happens to us as we get older? No, what happens is that as we grow older, our ability to manufacture the glucosamine decreases. Ah. Right? And because our ability to manufacture decreases, the repair mechanism also goes awry. Meaning that normally if I need, say, 100 milligrams of, of glucosamine a day to survive, all right, that's great when I'm young, but then as I get older, instead of making 100 milligrams, I might only make 75 milligrams. So what happens then, your repair mechanism goes awry, so you don't get full repair, so you get partial repair, and then you get degradation. Now, that's only one of the theories, okay? There's a whole bunch of other things that's going on in the background also. And I don't want to make it sound that if, if I just give you all the glucosamine in the world, you're gonna, you'll be good to go. Right. It's not as simple as that. I wish it were, but it wasn't. It's not. Okay. Right? 
No, but I want to get back to the glucosamine story for a bit. Okay. There's several types of glucosamine that's available on the supplement shelf. There's the D-glucosamine sulfate, there's D-glucosamine HCL, and there's something called N-acetylglucosamine. Right? The most common ones are the glucosamine sulfate and the glucosamine hydrochloride. For people use, mostly everybody uses glucosamine sulfate. Mm-hmm. In all fairness, if you're looking for glucosamine, they all will provide you with glucosamine. Okay? The downside to, I mean, there's pluses and minuses. If you use the N-acetylglucosamine, one of the, the, the problems with N-acetylglucosamine is that you compete with the bacteria in the gut for absorption. So part of it gets absorbed by you and part of it gets absorbed by the bacteria. Now that in itself is not a bad thing because you know with this day, everybody's thinking of the microbiome. It's not a bad thing to have something to feed your bacteria properly, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're looking to get glucosamine for rebuilding your cartilage, etc., you don't want to share with, your, with the bacteria. Right, so nice. so you you're better off just taking glucosamine sulfate or glucosamine hydrochloride. The glucosamine hydrochloride uh, is used a lot in the veterinarian type products. Now, a lot of people have been told that the glucosamine hydrochloride was only absorbed by the pets, and like your dogs and cats can't absorb glucosamine sulfate. That is false. That is very very wrong. In all fairness, both. Glucosamine hydrochloride and glucosamine sulfate are easily absorbed by animals just like us. Okay? The glucosamine hydrochloride, the advantage of that, ounce for ounce, because it's a, it's a smaller molecule, the amount of glucosamine you get is much higher in the glucosamine hydrochloride than in glucosamine sulfate. The downside is that glucosamine hydrochloride doesn't provide you the sulfur molecule. Uh, glucosamine sulfate does. And that's a big advantage, the glucosamine, the sulfur molecule in the sulfate, because a lot of biochemical mechanisms that produces anti-inflammatory compounds use sulfur. So things like methionine, et cetera, well, you need that. And things like glutathione also uses, needs the sulfur, right? So we won't go down that pathway. We'll spend too much time on that. Okay. Right? So there's a trade-off on, on all of it. To me, if you use the glucosamine sulfate, you get the best of all worlds. Okay, so that's the one you recommend. If people that's are looking, that's the one I recommend. But okay. if you have the other ones, don't throw it out. Doesn't mean it's not the best. It doesn't. It's no good. It's all good. Is there any downside to supplementing with glucosamine? Is there any contraindications, or is it fine? Not that we know of. I mean, this this glucosamine has been out for a long time. And I know there are people who will say, oh, if I'm diabetic, I can't use it. Well, that's not true. I mean, there are several studies to show that that's not true because glucosamine is basically something called a glucose molecule yeah. with something called an amine group attached to it. And there were some thoughts a while, way back when that if you're diabetic, you're getting this extra glucose, but it's not true because it's not broken down that way. Right, so your body, your, your bloodstream never sees the glucose. So it doesn't affect your blood sugar at all. Other than glucosamine, which I think we've covered, what else would you recommend for somebody who may be suffering from joint pain? Well, what I would definitely recommend is your anti-inflammatory herbs. The anti-inflammatory herbs are very important because with the anti-inflammatory herbs, you help control that inflammation component. If you help control the inflammation component, you help control the damage to the joint caused by inflammation. Right, mm-hmm. and one of the several other things that add to it, I would add things like your B vitamins, because what people think about is that they think of one magic bullet 
to cover everything. And I've always said there is no one magic bullet. Everything has to work together in conjunction, right? So you need the B vitamins because what happens with the B vitamins? The B vitamins generates ATP, which in turn will help power the biochemistry to incorporate all that glucosamine. You also need minerals, right? So you need things like calcium, magnesium, manganese, zinc, copper, molybdenum, right, boron, right, just to mention a few. And the reason you need these is because these are all structural components into rebuilding the cartilage, right, and being incorporated in something called the extracellular matrix, which helps, again, rebuild that cartilage. Right, so you need all those things in conjunction to make it happen. And unfortunately, a lot of us just goes through thinking, well, all I need is glucosamine, or all I need is chondroitin, okay, and that will cure it all. You need all of these components together, right? So it's like, you know, if you're exercising, right, and all you do is one exercise, but not all the muscles get worked with this one exercise, right? So that's the analogy I'd like to use. It's probably not the best analogy I've ever come across with, but (laughs) I think this is the best I can do it on short notice. Okay. Well, that, no, no, that makes sense. And as somebody who works out, I get what you're saying. You can't just keep doing curls and thrusts. You know, sometimes yeah, it's leg day and you have to make sure your legs are strong too. That's, I think that's what you're saying. That's correct, right? I, oh, it's like whatever you eat, right? You yeah. just can't eat one food group and, and everything else and expect the body to work perfectly. You've got to eat many different food groups to optimize your nutrition. Those minerals you referenced, do most of us need to supplement them or can we get them from our diet? You can get them from your diet, but most of us probably don't eat a wide enough variety of things to get them all. So I always say supplementation is basically, especially in places like Canada and the first world, supplementation is just insurance, right? A lot of us, in a perfect world, I would say we all eat very well. Yeah, we but don't. you know as well as yeah, I we do. There are some of us yeah. who do not eat well at all. And even some of us who, who think they eat well, they find you eat all of one thing and, and a lot of nothing else, right. right? So my recommendation is to supplement. In the first of all, supplement as insurance. That is fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me on board today, Jamie. That was Dr. Gordon Chang. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the three common obstacles to weight loss over 40 on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Are you frustrated by stubborn weight loss? Feeling stuck in a cycle of dieting and deprivation? Are you sick and tired of how much mental time and energy this issue takes up in your life? Dr. Cher Beauvais understands because at age 50, she was there too. Now she runs supervised weight loss programs across Canada based on the research and discoveries that led to her weight loss breakthrough. She's helped thousands of Canadians over age 40 to lose their weight and maintain it so they can have an enjoyable lifestyle once again. See if her approach is right for you by booking a 15-minute assessment call with Dr. Beauvais. Use the link on our website, drsherbovay.com. That's D-R-S-H-E-R-B-O-V-A-Y.com. 
You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Dr. Cher Beauvais runs a successful national weight loss and lifestyle company. Her supervised programs are designed to specifically help people over the age of 40 struggling to lose body fat and keep it off with ease. All while achieving their optimal lifestyle, her approach is based on her research and personal discovery after her own struggles at age 50 with weight gain. With over 30 years of experience in the health field as a chiropractor, along with the additional certification she holds from the Harvard Medical School's Institute of Lifestyle Medicine, Dr. Beauvais has been featured on TV's Inside the Story and Breakfast Television, as well as in a hot doc documentary. She's been a guest speaker to several Fortune 500 companies, including BMO, CIBC, and Moneris, and is a regular guest lecturer at the University of Toronto on topics of stress, genomics, and lifestyle. To learn more about Dr. Beauvais and her programs, you can visit her website at drsharebeauvais.com. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited to be here. So... We're going to talk about something that's kind of near and dear to me because my listeners know that my personal journey to health and wellness was I was a commercial litigator who weighed 242 pounds and lost 52 pounds and changed his life. But I know that that is not an easy road to travel and it becomes harder when you hit 40, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The body changes and life's more complicated, let's face it, when we're over 40 and we've got potentially careers, you know, kids elder care, all that. But particularly with the body, it just it's a very different experience. And I hear that all the time. People are like, it's not like my twenties. Like it's just yeah. my body's fighting me the whole way. My father, who had all kinds of health and wellness issues, took me aside. I mean, he saw where I was at. And he said to me, he said, you know, you gotta lose it now. You gotta you, you gotta lose it now because it just it becomes almost you know almost impossible when you get older just because of hormonal changes and the way the body changes it isn't actually impossible but it is much harder yeah it's just more difficult for sure so you have a personal journey to weight loss too right yes i do my story is uh, when i turned 50 which is about eight years ago i guess now i had a back injury so i wasn't able to exercise i had it was a high stress job at the time both my parents became ill and hormonal changes so I I lovingly refer to this as my perfect storm (laughs) put weight on and I'm like okay and and here I am an expert in weight loss putting weight on so a bit of imposter syndrome maybe (laughs) setting in Um, anyways at that point in time I was trying to do the more traditional approach which is there's nothing wrong with the traditional approach you know calorie in calorie out you know lower the carbs increase the proteins all that kind of stuff But the weird thing, Jamie, was I wasn't losing anything. And I knew enough to know with what I'm doing, this makes no sense. Like something's not right here. And that's what, coincidentally, I just happened to be going to a conference in the U.S. And that's when I learned about kind of a whole other method for weight loss, using fat for fuel based on more intermittent fasting. And I was a little skeptical at first, but once I wrapped my head around it, I thought, okay, I'm going to give it a go. And I did. And it was amazing. Very fast weight loss. My criteria is at fast in terms of... Fast enough to keep people motivated, but also it's healthy. It's targeting fat, keeping muscle, right? You know, water, you'll lose water. But also, is it sustainable? And, um, you know, that's the criteria I was looking at for myself. Right. Kind of guinea pig number one. And once I did that, I went, okay, this is great. And, you know, that was eight years ago. I've kept it off. So, you know, taking the weight off is, is one issue, right? Mm. Uh, keeping it off is quite another, right? And that goes to the sustainability, right? Because whatever it is you're doing to take the weight off, you're going to have to keep doing it in some form or fashion. So you better get used to it and you better like it because if you find it difficult or a challenge or, you know, like it's something you can only do in short spurts, well, guess what? 
you know, the weight's going to come back. It just will. It will. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the holy grail of weight loss. I would say it's less about losing. I had my struggles, but it's that keeping it off, the maintaining it, having a lifestyle you can enjoy. We cannot live in deprivation forever. Right. (laughs) So that is, it's how you go about it can set yourself up to keep it off or you're going to be on the yo-yo ride. Okay. So when we started the interview, we talked about people over 40 and and the special sort of issues that people over 40 have in trying to lose their weight. So what are some of the obstacles that somebody over 40 has that somebody who's younger might not have? Right. Yeah. I put it kind of into, I think of it as three buckets. And this is something I've just sort of developed over time, just having to talk to so many people and you see sort of these patterns. And I mean, the first for sure, as I mentioned a little bit before, is the body. The body changes. We lose muscle. There's hormonal changes. There's even just carrying the fat. That belly fat's a very active tissue. A lot of people don't realize it's not just something that just bothers you to look at. It's actually releasing a lot of hormones. It's affecting our hormones. I kind of re- refer to it as like bad Wi-Fi, <laughs> where, you know, bad Wi-Fi in the home, nothing's working properly. And that's that was certainly my personal experience. And I see this all the time. So there's the body changes. Um, there's also the lack of consistency is the other major obstacle, because no matter what, you got to be consistent to get the results. And if people are suffering from they just can't, whether they can't get through a day, you know, they can't get through the week, Or maybe they can go several months and suddenly the wheels fall off the bus. That lack of consistency is the thing that keeps tripping them up. And the other one is the yo-yoing, really, in terms of thinking, I always think long-term, not just the immediate loss, but long-term. So the yo-yoing, you know, they're still stuck in this, where honestly, weight loss is still a thing in their life, fussing over their food, fussing over all this, this area. It's still a big issue for them. You know, they're either losing or gaining. As one of my clients said, one of, I love this statement. She goes, you know, Dr. Cher, I can do deprivation really well. I just can't do moderation. Yeah, no, <laughs> so it's true, right? Kind of sums it up. Yeah. So those three areas could be body, it's behavioral with the lack of consistency or, you know, the yo-yoing can't keep it off. So the body part can be tricky because you may not know that your body is fighting your weight loss, right? Like it can, but you may not be aware of it. So what are some of the things that you should look out for that would sort of indicate that your body is preventing you from moving forward? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the indicia? Well, I mean, one of the areas, I mean, obviously the scale not moving is one. Right, yeah. But the other thing is you want to make sure, particularly over 40, when you're losing weight, that you're keeping your muscle. So you're, if you're targeting fat, you'll feel great. You have lots of energy, but it's also using other measurements such as body measurements, right. particularly waist and hip, because that's a strong indicator of you're burning fat. You're not just losing water and muscle. Right. Along with how you're feeling. Yeah. And people carry their fat in different ways, right? Like, you know, it's, it's the, you, whether you're a mesomorph or an ectomorph, you know, your body shape will determine where you're going to carry your fat. Unfortunately for me, I carry it around my middle. It's obvious to me when I'm putting weight on, my pants will fit differently, mm-hmm. you know, uh, through my shirts, you know, it'll fill out in the front in a way that it didn't if I were five or 10 pounds lighter. So I can see that, but not everybody's cognizant of that. Right. Yeah, they may not. That's where the body measurements are helpful. Okay. You said, I think bucket number two, I think you called it, was consistency. So why don't you elaborate on that? Sort of explain what you mean. Yeah, this is a big one. The reason why this one I'm very passionate about too is because the challenge is that when people have struggled and they have this lack of consistency, they have this broad brush way of labeling themselves. I don't have any discipline. I'm weak-willed. There's something wrong with me. And so there's this emotional baggage that often goes with that, which makes them either fearful of trying again or they want to give up pretty easily because they're like, oh, here I go again. So why bother? But the lack of consistency, if people can just dig a little deeper, just 
quieten that negative self-talk and just think, okay, what is it that keeps tripping me up? Is it something to do with the body? Maybe it's the method they're using, right? That's just not getting at the fat. Is it their lifestyle and their habits? The methods they use are key, are just consistently too complicated. I hear this a lot. It's too time-consuming. It's too complicated. So they can commit for a little bit of time, but then eventually they just it's unsustainable. So it's looking at ways that they can lose weight, where they, it can be sustainable from creating routines and habits. And if they don't do that, they're going to keep tripping up. So looking for simplicity, clarity, structure, these types of things. Also, the mindset side is huge, right? It, mindset in terms of giving them themselves permission to prioritize their own self-care. A lot of people have a hard time with that. I think a lot of women do, honestly. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's an issue for women. Yeah, yeah. They could just fall into this, taking care of kids, career, community, partners, all that. And then, you know, they, they're always on the back burner. So it's uncomfortable for them to kind of stake their claim. And then the other one is the mindset around the emotional issues, challenges around food. Food is very powerful. It is pleasurable in the right setting, under the right conditions. It's wonderful, right? But a lot of times it's used as kind of self-medication or escapism. Sure. No, I'm, I'm an emotional eater. I mean, I, I know that if I'm upset, some people, oh, I can't eat. I'm too upset. No. For me, if I'm upset, I'm just going to pile on with the sweets and the fat foods and the salt because it makes me feel better in the moment. It's instant gratification for a lot of people. It just is. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I always, when I'm coaching with my clients, I'm like, okay, they say they, they went off track. I'm like, I actually celebrate. I'm like, awesome. Let's dig down deeper and figure out why. Because this is the thing that's going to keep tripping you up. Even if you white knuckle your way to your goal weight on any program, you will end up putting the weight on because you haven't tackled that. So if you can dig down deeper, really address what is the trigger, what other strategies you could use to handle the trigger that's not about food. So for some people, they know what to do, but they just can't stick to it. What's going on with those people? Well, that it's interesting, you know, but that one, that often I will say it can be a combination. It can be the mindset stuff. They're just yeah. not aware yet. And one is increasing awareness. The other one is that I'll say lack of motivation. I actually don't even like using the word motivation because motivation could be come across as this hyped up. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait. You know, like the yeah. New Year's resolutions or it's a trip or it's a wedding and there's this manic. Woo. I'm so excited. That is not sustainable. That level of excitement. Often what people need, and one of the exercises I'll do with people and anybody listening could do this, is just, you want to look at, okay, what are your values? What's important to you? Can you connect the dots between how losing weight is going to serve one of those things, the areas? Like one of my clients, I mean, hers was with her kids. And she realized when I was asking for one of her before pictures, she goes, oh my gosh, I'm absent from my family because I'm avoiding being in pictures. I'm not participating. And that became her why. She was like, that's what carried her. Because she's like, when it came down to, potentially going off track should go okay do I want to be sitting on the dock again taking pictures or do I want to be in the water tubing and having fun so it's that heart-centered deep value purposeful motivation as opposed to the manic kind of whew, short-lived <laughs> right we have time for one last question mm. and, and that is in dealing uh with the yo-yo effect which is bucket number three what do you think is the biggest obstacle for people who who have that issue I would say it's a combination of two one is absolutely the mindset in terms of mindset, in terms of they never got into a groove of creating the habits and routines while they were losing weight that will sustain them and in, in, in maintaining, right? They're doing something just dramatically too different, you know, and, and therefore it doesn't transition. They haven't learned how to do that. And then the mindset component in terms of the emotional eating, the stressing, what is the real issue that you're basically you're filling your life the voids in your life with food or, or handling it you know and that's where weight loss is interesting if i find it fascinating because it's not just a physical journey it can be 
you know, asking the right questions, it can be a journey of inner transformation and profound fulfillment in lifestyle because you start, it's like a bit of ripping off the Band-Aid and going, okay, I'm going to tackle these things and fill those voids with things that are more fulfilling than fill my tummy. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, that was great. Thank you for having me. That's Dr. Cher Beauvais. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss refinancing your mortgage before retirement on The Tonic. Are you stressed out, feeling down, having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, enhance your mood, and sleep better. Discover De-Stress, Merry Mind Omega, and Sleep 8. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. And for more information, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Makomet and Agostino Mortgage Group are part of the largest Dominion lending franchise in Canada, with access to more than 230 lending institutions, including big banks, credit unions, and trust companies. Sarah and Rhiannon are mortgage professionals familiar with a vast array of available mortgage products, ranging from first-time homebuyer programs to financing for self-employed to financing for those with credit blemishes. Most importantly, they work for you, not the lenders, to ensure you receive the best rates and products available in today's marketplace. Whether you're looking to purchase your very first home or upgrade to a new home, renew your existing mortgage, refinance your mortgage to free up some equity, purchase investment properties or vacation homes or lease business-related equipment, they have the expertise and the variety of products available to meet your unique needs. For more information, visit dominionlendingcanada.ca or call at 647-892-4437. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. A perennial presence on CMP's Women of Influence list, Sarah McAmet has been in financial services since 2008, making her mark first on Bay Street and then in the world of mortgages. Starting out in an industry dominated by men, Makamek quickly let everyone know she could hold her own as a top producer and one of Dominion Lending Center's shining stars, and she continues to learn and grow in the business. Her clients are loyal to her, and she has earned their trust. The lenders know her knowledge of the industry is sound, and she's been increasing her presence in the marketplace from day one. As a top producer and one of the guiding partners in the brokerage, Makamet rounds out her accomplishments by traveling the world. Welcome to the show. How are you? I am very good. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to talk about refinancing for our listeners today and, you know, about the timing of refinancing, right? Because that's that's relevant. That's very relevant, yes. So why is it important to refinance your mortgage before you retire? It's an excellent question, Jamie. The reason why you want to refinance your mortgage before you retire is income qualifications. It's one of the main qualifications, including your credit and obviously equity in your home to do so. But majority of people make a mistake. They retire and then they come to us and say, well, now I would love to travel. Now I would love to, you know, do something like a renovation to my home, maybe add a bath or or something else. But the challenge becomes that you don't have the income anymore to qualify. And so it becomes a lot more challenging. Obviously, we know of reverse mortgages, you know, they have come a long way, but I recommend just do it when you're still employed. Have an access to your equity through a line of credit, you know, and it's the easiest to do once you're retired. Right. I, I think what people don't realize is most Canadians have a tremendous amount of equity tied up in their matrimonial home and their principal it's residence. True. And don't realize is even if they are 
you know, very close to paying off their mortgage or essentially mortgage free, the banks don't care. If you are not earning an income, they will not loan against the pure equity in your house. It is totally correct. I have a number of clients who have homes that are worth millions of dollars, especially being here in the GTA in Canada, Vancouver, and the banks just don't care about it. We don't have many programs anymore available on the market that allows us to qualify based on equity programs. Everybody wants, you know, income to qualify. Right. And the other, you know, flip side of the equation is, of course, you know, interest rates are so low. That's correct. You know, that maintaining your mortgage longer, which, you know, used to be, everybody used to throw a party when they paid off their mortgage. Correct. But the truth of the matter is you may actually want to continue to have a mortgage if you need access to credit. And for example, you can't get a line of credit secured against your property, which is obviously another option for some people. That's correct. And I think that, yes, we, we are seeing historically low interest rates. We've never seen anything like that in the market. You know, it certainly is not, you know, what it used to be. We used to have higher interest rates. The interest rates in credit low, So it does make sense to probably carry a mortgage and have a better quality of life versus worrying about paying off your mortgage. Also, appreciations have been tremendous. So, right. you know, you probably even if you took the equity to spend it on something, you kind of through this past few years have uh, made it all back and more. So it's been interesting times, low interest rates, high appreciations. Yeah. Very interesting. Anybody who bought a house in Toronto at any time over the last 20 years is a real estate genius, right? Like That would be correct. You, I mean, anybody who owns a home in Toronto is a millionaire and a real estate genius. That's correct. You didn't have to do anything. It has been said it has been the best investment. Like truly, you know, no matter where you put your money in any of the vehicles, home for most people have been your best investment. Okay. So you're a mortgage broker. That'll be correct. And I want you to explain why somebody would go to a mortgage broker as opposed to a bank if they were looking to refinance. That's an excellent question again. So people ask me that very, very often. And I usually say that we work with major banks. So we work with Scotiabank. We work with TD Bank. But we also work with credit unions. We work with monoline lenders, which only lend for mortgage purposes like First National AMCAP. We also work with clients, private lenders who may not qualify because they've gone through a divorce, consumer proposal, bank bankruptcy. They're new to Canada. They've started a business of their own. So we find them solutions that quite often banks will decline them. And our option is just finding you the best terms. So that would be your rates, finding you the best qualifications and making sure you actually do get a mortgage. Today, even B rates are incredibly low. Like B rates are what used to be A rates, you know, a year ago. So everything has gone. It just, it's the borrowing money have become so much cheaper. Private lending is readily available. There's so much money out there and that has gone a lot cheaper. So there are so many options for borrowers today because of the appreciations, because of the equity. You know, we are seeing this kind of a phenomena, so to speak. Who does a mortgage broker work for? Like, so for example, in the real estate market, what people don't realize is that both the buying and selling agent actually both work for the vendor. Correct. Even though somebody may represent you in the negotiation, technically they actually represent the vendor. What's the case for you? Are you working for the borrower or the lender? Uh, so in our case, we're actually working for the borrower. We're representing the borrower, to be honest with you. Okay. You know, we shop around, we find you the best rates, we find you the best terms, and then we put you... I don't work for a specific lending institution. I'm not an employee of TD. I'm not an employee of Scotia Bank. I am independently 
operated, and then I'm looking for the best, you know, sort of term, so to speak. And and then there is really no cost in most cases to the client. The banks pay me as a commissioned person, so it does not cost anything to a borrower necessarily. There are some cases if we do put you with a private lender, so you know you have bankruptcy consumer proposal, there may be some cost associated because the private lender just won't pay us necessarily. So I would say if I do that for you, there would be some fee of some sort. But most of the time, like ninety nine percent of our cases, there is no cost whatsoever to our borrowers. Okay, so even though you're working for the borrowers, in essence, you're earning your money from the lenders, right? They'll be correct. That's why I want to be very clear on that. That yes, we do work. So we have to be very honest in their presenting. But we will basically package. We will look at the deal quite often. And we have ability to look through it in a little bit of a different lens than if you were to a bank necessarily. Because we would say, well, if we there is a program that if we put it this way and this way would actually feed you. So this is what I recommend you doing here. Just, you know, that sort of advantage of knowing, it's good. So if I were to come to visit you and I wanted to get approval for a loan, what's the process look like? You know, it's fairly, you know, the process itself, we always say income, 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 income up front, especially what's going on right now with COVID. A lot of people, you know, maybe laid off, not employed, on CERB, I mean, you name it. So we always say just bring your employment up front if you could, uh, your job letter, your pay stub, your notice of assessment, so we know what we're dealing with. And then we can pull your credit. It, it takes us seconds to do so, Equifax TransUnion. And then from there, you know, it's determining what the equity in your home is. If you're looking to refinance, if you're looking to buy, people are upsizing, downsizing. I mean, we've seen many people staying in their own homes and just taking equity these days to refinance. It's been like precedented. It's been a record of people who are asking, coming back and say, I want to upgrade my home now. So with the approval process, can you approve somebody prior to getting an appraisal of the property or does the appraisal come before you get approval? Usually we will approve you based on your income and your credit. And then we usually recommend, I mean, sometimes it, it could be like a desktop appraisals is becoming more and more popular where we just go through the system. Here is, you know, the homes in your area, that's what it's worth it. It does come close to that. You know, if, if they have become fairly accurate these days, unless it's a grow up or something like that, you know, it is a very accurate, you told me what you've upgraded or you have not upgraded. Most people know, we'll look through the system and we probably be, you know, here is where the value comes at. So it, we could, we could actually do that. If somebody was on CERB right now mm-hmm. or they didn't have a steady income, are they still able to get a mortgage through a broker or is it too hard? It is more challenging, but it is possible. We do have annuals and that's where, you know, your B lenders and your private lenders come into place. I mean, we do have lenders who say no income, no credit, we'll give you the money, right? It's more private lenders. They just care about the equity in your home. As long as you've got equity in your home, they'll give you a mortgage. Right. But probably at a much higher interest rate. They will rate. give you two at a much higher interest rate. Now I tell people that that's quite often is a temporarily solution. So maybe you'll go into six months or one year. They all are interest only mortgages. And quite often you don't do it on the full amount. Like people will have a mortgage, but they will say, sir, I need, you know, $50,000 to get through next year. Well, that will cost you $500 every month, for instance, or less, right? Mm-hmm. It is fairly manageable. We can also take it all up front. So we'd say we've prepared for a year. In a year's time, we'll refinance and put you with the bank or somebody like that, right? Once you get your job and back in your feet. Okay. So is there any difference between the type of information that you would get from a bank versus a mortgage broker in terms of the process? I think that one of the differences maybe is that you don't really, we don't meet with anybody anymore. We used to be pre-COVID from time to time. There were people who say, I want to come to your office. We say, absolutely, you're more than welcome to. Today, we just don't meet with anybody. We do everything online and we'll send you the portal. You fill up, you know, your application, you'll send us your documents and we'll get you pre-approved. So we've truly have gotten through a a very, very robust online, you know, no meeting, no face-to-face, sit in your home in your own convenience you know, would it be 7 p.m. in the evening or would it be on a Saturday morning? We are available to assist you in the process. 
Okay. And if I were meeting with a mortgage broker, what should my expectations be with respect to first steps? Like what sort of information should I be bringing with me and what are reasonable expectations? I always tell people the main thing we care about is your income. So please have your income. Like if you come to us, you could say, well, I've got my job, let us pay steps, notice of assessments, all that stuff, commission income, whatever it is that makes our job so much easier because we can pull credit report right away. And then from there, as I said, we can assess what the value of the property is through like a desktop appraisal quite often. So it's just as long as you get your income today, which is the most challenging one with COVID and everything, everything else we can figure out. Right. So if I were looking, if I had, for example, if I wanted money because one of my kids was getting married or I wanted to go on an anniversary trip, mm-hmm. how much lead time should I give my mortgage broker in order to facilitate, you know, putting all the paperwork together and getting it all done? I would tell you, it because we've seen such a high record of refinancing, like August has been record busy. We've never seen anything like that. We ask clients, just give us a little bit of time. We would love to have, you know, 10 days or two weeks to be prepared to get, and because your lawyer has to do the time too. I could say to you, I'll get you the money. You know, you'll have everything approved in 48 hours, let's say. Right. But your lawyer will say, well, I need to get the documents. I need to complete it. I need to also do all of that. So we say that it's better you prepare ahead of time, then you're not in a hurry and you really will take the amount you need to go through assessment. Maybe your dad's you need to pay off. That's a big one right now. People accumulate a lot of debt or people who are looking to just upgrade their homes or, you know, do something. I mean, we've seen a lot of people traveling across Canada, Alberta and BC. I mean, many of my clients have traveled. So, um, you know, people still traveling across Canada, people celebrating their homes and their children still going to universities. So life does go on. Right. We have time for one last question. And that is, what's the role of the broker after the deal closes? That's an excellent question. So we are here for you, uh, you know, for as long as uh, we are available. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm fairly young, so is Rian. And, but our job is to serve you. Our job is to provide service for you. Many of our clients keep coming back. Even though you do take a five-year mortgage, which is like 90% of the mortgages in Canada, people come to us within three to three and a half years to refinance, to upgrade, something happened, life-changing events. Also put a strategy. Some people want to retire. Some people want to buy a rental property. Many of them have done that, accumulated equity in their homes, generated rental incomes for the retirement. So no matter what it is, I mean, I say if you cannot pay your mortgage or if you want to buy a rental property or take anything, we are here for you. I've had many people who we work with banks and CMHCs and put uh, rental basements in because they just couldn't carry their mortgages, maybe postpone the incomes, postpone the payments on the mortgages. Like I just always say, come to us no matter what it is. Don't be ashamed. We are here for you. And believe me, you know what, like we have gone through in the 15 years that I've been in the mortgage business, I've gone through everything, no matter where people come from and what life changes events they've had. I probably will not be surprised, you know, of anything anymore these days. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very grateful and truly appreciate it. That was Sarah Makomet. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss knowing yourself on The Tonic. (sighs) Does the fear of losing control keep you awake at night? Enjoy better sleep on something you can control. The Supreme Adjustable Bed by Ultramatic. Customize your back, leg, neck, and lumbar positions with push-button control for relief of back pain, arthritis, and sleep apnea. The Supreme. Take back control of your life. Try Ultramatic's Supreme Adjustable Bed for 100 nights, risk-free. Learn more at ultramatic.ca. Elevate your sleep. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. 
They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Tracy Sograti has an eclectic background in molecular biology, psychology, and nursing. She practices psychotherapy and yoga therapy and has over 20 years of experience in leading classes, workshops, and events. She believes that the tools of mindfulness pave the way for a deeply meaningful life at any stage. And you can find her at tracysograti.com, Sograti Yoga on Facebook, or at Tracy Sograti on Instagram. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. How's it going? It's an interesting day, which is always a good thing, right? Yeah, it's always good, yeah. So today we're going to talk about getting to know one's self. Yes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think this is one of these really important things that can be kind of overlooked in our striving because there's a lot of striving or it can even be overlooked like through the busyness, right? Like the busyness in, in the culture that we live in, how important this is. I would take it a step further. I would say we've been socialized not to be introspective at all. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who is tremendously introspective, I find it a failing in others. That sounds judgmental. I just think a lot of people could stand to think about the way they conduct themselves and and what they mean and what they do and what they stand for. But that's just me. Mm -hmm. No, I, I actually like that you just brought it right out there because I have to say, like, I also see this as something that is essential. And it's not that I'm not judgmental about it, but I phrase it as like people need to be conscious. We need to be conscious about our motivations, our actions, and we need to be accountable and responsible. And if you don't know yourself, you just don't have the capacity to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm with you. Okay, so now that we're both on the same page, what does it practically mean for somebody who doesn't know what we're talking about? What does it mean to know yourself? Yeah, so this is really a concept. Like, first, I want to say, you know, sometimes the thing that I butt up against with this concept is if I'm talking to people from a collectivist culture, Mm -hmm. sometimes this idea of, like, knowing yourself or pursuing your own hopes and dreams is seen as a little narcissistic, right? So I want to really help people understand that this concept of knowing yourself it's, it's ancient, it's embedded in many cultures, spiritual traditions, philosophy, Buddhism, you know, so in many collectivist cultures, you know, Greek philosophy, as well as modern psychology, and it's this awareness of who you are as a person and all of the things in your environment and your genes that came together to create your beliefs, your values, you know, your state of well-being, your relationships and your motivation for your actions. So it's knowing all of those things so that you can start to really create or curate a life that has purpose and meaning, right? And if you don't know yourself, you know, I would say that you can't really do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so considering that most of us have been with ourselves for some time, I think most of the listeners are are mature adults here. (laughs) Yeah. Why is it that some of us don't know ourselves? Well, you know, it's kind of, okay, so there's, first what we talked about at the beginning, there's busyness, right? We're so busy all the time with things that are superfluous or, you know, superficial that we're not even aware of all of the different complex inputs that structure the way that we see the world, okay? Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing is that we're not even aware of how our brain works because we're kept busy working and buying and shopping and That's a whole other political discussion, but I think that that's one problem. The second thing is to know yourself requires that you have to sit down and be with yourself without being distracted. 
Mm-hmm. Right? So you have to be able to tolerate doing that. And, and I'll tell you, like, I've taught yoga and meditation for 20 years. I've worked in sort of every kind of, every level of healthcare. And the most common thing that I've heard over the, the span of my career is, oh, like, I cannot sit with myself. I can't meditate. No. Like, mm-hmm. I, it is so scary and overwhelming for me to listen to my brain. I mean, that's the most common thing that I hear. So it tells me that people also don't have the grit because it's a little uncomfortable to get to know yourself. So you you do have to tolerate grit. Like it's not rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. (laughs) You know, you you have to be willing to get a little bit messy. And I think our pattern is to sort of chase pleasure and run away from pain. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and, and I mean, there are all of the constructs in society as well. I mean, if you're living in a black body, you might have internalized, you know, racist discrimination or, you know, you've lived with social policies that discriminate you. Um, same if you're an indigenous person, same if you're a woman. So there are all these social, political, historical reasons for not really knowing yourself or not having a sense that it's even valuable to do so and to advocate for yourself. So those layers to it too. I mean, we're not existing in sort of this bubble. It's not just about our own ability to sit with ourselves. There are other inputs as well. But nonetheless, I think when all of those reasons come together, that's why we sort of avoid the discomfort of of looking into our own eyes, so to speak, you know, metaphorically. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if we're prepared to look into ourselves and be with Mm -hmm. ourselves and Mm -hmm. do that work, what's it going to look like to know oneself? Yeah, this is a great question. So I think, you know, the first thing I want people to know is that it's developmental. And what I mean by that, Jamie, is it's it's not like, okay, I'm going to sit down and do this for a year and then I'm going to really know myself. Yep. No. It's a never-ending process until you die. So whenever you die, you're going to keep re-engaging in this relationship to yourself. And the reason it's never done is because you are a completely different person as you age. Like, tell me, are you the same guy that you were at 20? Uh, okay, I may be a bad example, but <laughs> I, I mean, have I learned life's lessons? Yes. yes. Have I matured and grown? I'd yes. like to think so. Yes. I think my core essence is pretty much the same, but again, I'm a real outlier. But yes, yeah. to your yeah. point, yes, I have grown. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we all grow and change. And for some people, definitely it will be to a greater extent. To some people, there will be a more stable personality over time. But the reality is, is we are shifting and changing in response to environmental pressures, right? Even if we think about, like, the Internet, right, or cell phones, right? Like, the way that we've shifted and changed in response to that environmental pressure, right? So, So it means that you're always checking in with, like, oh, who am I now? Right, And that requires that you sort of drop your expectations and preferences and meet yourself again and again. The second thing is it's a real physical thing. So our bodies change over time. So you want to, you know, you want to get to know your body at every stage of life. But your body is also this fast communication system and it's super fast. So if you come into a room and there's something happening in that room that where there's a dynamic that's being played out, you know, that might have nothing to do with you, your body will feel it and send you a signal, right? Yeah, and, and I kind of call this my spidey senses. I was just, that's what I was going to say. Yep. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, right? It's like my spidey senses will go off, and I get a feeling, and I'm like, oh, yeah, there's something going down in this room. Like, I don't know what it is, but I can feel that it's happening. And so that's the physical communication where your body has picked up on something. And and so knowing yourself means that you actually know what that is for you. Mm-hmm. And I bring this, like in therapy, I bring this up with clients. Like, okay, you know, I've got this thing. So I call it my spidey sense. Like, what do you know? And I, I've had people say to me, like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Tracy. Like, I am numb from the neck down. Hmm. From the neck down, okay? And, and this is not an uncommon response for me to get. So it means really checking in with how you feel, understanding sensation, because even once people start to explore sensation, they might tell themselves all kinds of wild stories about what the sensation means that actually have nothing to do with the reality of the sensation. So it's really learning to physically be in your body. You know, and one thing that I recommend is, well, you know, you know, because you've known me for a while, like exercise and movement, Mm -hmm. just pushing yourself a little bit because the body is really incredible. And I find that so often people shy away from, you know, just experiencing all the ways that the body can move, all the ways that the body can sweat, like how the body can be strong and how you feel after that experience. And often it's because of insecurity. So I think, you know, knowing yourself is physical, but it's also mental slash cognitive slash psychological. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really taking the time to sit down and, and know, like, what are your thought patterns like? What are your feeling patterns? Notice, like, notice patterns of behavior. You know, do you behave in a certain way consistently? And do you understand the motivation behind why you're behaving that way, right? Mm-hmm. And is it is it working up for you, right? Like, yeah. is, it, is it getting you where you want to go? And if it's not, then you need to understand the drivers behind it. And then just, like, knowing, like, what are your dreams and goals, right? If we've got this one life, what are you doing with it? Yep. So knowing yourself, mm-hmm. what is the impact of knowing yourself vis-a-vis the rest of the world? Yeah. And this is sort of why I say it's, like a, it's a responsibility, okay? Yep. So, like, I would say, you know, from a personal slash professional point of view, you can just start to make decisions that are based on your well-being, first of all, and not against your well-being. But I could also extrapolate that out into the world, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're making knee-jerk decisions that are, you know, against the well-being, say, of the planet, for example, just because you're sort of being lazy, then eventually your children or your children's children aren't going to have a planet to live in, right? Mm -hmm. And so it means understanding, you know, why you're making those decisions. On a more personal note, because that's what people are interested in, it means really making decisions that are in conjunction with your life goals. So, you know, if you want to be a fit and healthy person when you're 70, then you're going to have to make the decision to be uncomfortable and exercise every day. And yes, you're going to have to make the decision to probably eat healthy food, right? And And that's just a fact. It also means you can avoid sort of sabotaging yourself in other ways, right? So, like, say relationally, for example, if you know that you've had kind of a crappy day, like if you don't know yourself and know that when you get home from that day that you need 10 minutes to yourself or that you need to do something to kind of digest your experience, and if you don't take care of those needs, then what's going to happen is you might end up snapping at the people you love. And that, that reaction might have nothing to do with them, but then it creates this whole negative pattern in your relationships just because you don't know yourself and just because you can't meet your needs. So it means that you stop sabotaging your tendency to do things like that or to take things personally or interpret them negatively because of your thought patterns, right? Like that kind of self-examination allows you to really live in a way that supports you having 
you know, great, healthy relationships, good friendships. That is an ultimate goal. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure, Jamie. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Gordon Chang, Dr. Cher Beauvais, Sarah Makomet, and Tracy Sograti. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The September-October issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Boston wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.